You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Many times you can limit the damage that will occur if you move quickly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with security expert and podcast host, Adam Levin. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories this week, we've got uh, some quick follow-up here. A listener named David wrote in, and he said, uh, Hi, Dave and Joe. I enjoy listening to the show every week and heard the question for John regarding 2FA. I like YubiKeys because they protect you from man-in-the-middle attacks, but understand why they're not for everyone. John asked about authenticator apps and implied that Authy might be vulnerable to compromise of the associated phone number and or email address. Right. Before uploading anything to the cloud, Authy encrypts all your 2FA secrets with a key derived from your backup's password, which remains local on your device. New devices can be authorized via email, SMS, or an existing device. Whichever way you decide to go, the new device just receives an encrypted blob of 2FA secrets. I see. You need to enter your backup's password on the new device to allow this to be decrypted. Mm -hmm. So, an attacker would need to take control of your phone number and or email address and brute force your backup's password before getting access to your 2FA secrets. Use a unique random password for Authy, and no one is getting your 2FA secrets. And cheers, David. All right. Yes. So clarif- good good clarification there, Joe. Yes. It's, uh, it looks like that Authy encrypts the data and uses something called password-based key derivation. Okay. Uh, and David is correct. Uh, that is subject to a brute force attack, but if you have a sufficiently complex password, uh, they'll never achieve that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems as though you know these these authenticator apps have uh, most of our concerns covered, which right. I guess is not surprising. Yeah, uh, but it's nice to uh, have these clarifications. And it's nice to in. understand the inner workings of these things. Yeah, yeah, fill in the gaps in our own uh, lack of knowledge about things, which we can always count on our listeners for. <laughs> right, like I said, I've never used Authy. I'm not sure how it works. Not familiar with it. So yeah. thank you for uh, sending this in, David. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to some stories this week. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? Dave, when you ask a young person in computer science what they want to do after they graduate, they often say they want to work for a video game company. Oh, well, right? why not? Sure. It's fun, right? I would think so. It's not fun. It's, <laughs> so that's, that's how they get you. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, it's a lot of work with really hard schedules. Yeah. Uh, and these games are not simple things that, that are just thrown together. They are complex programs that are huge and there's a lot of work to be done in them. Right. Um, but still, people want to work there because it's something that they've grown up with experiencing. And, and actually, it's a valid career path, and it can be very rewarding. Yeah, I guess it's high profile. Uh, yep. My my, uh, <laughs> my youngest son, uh, someone like on, um, uh, you know, Bring Your Dad to Work Day or something, someone's dad came in who was a game developer uh, for one of uh, the big games that all the kids like to play. I don't remember which one, but the kids were starstruck right. by this guy. <laughs> you know, absolutely starstruck. Uh, not the least of which because he had posters to give away of the this cool video game. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. I want a poster now. <laughs> so, uh, it's not just computer science graduates, but also uh, 
art and design students as well, because you need a lot of artists to make a video game good. Sure. Uh, you can't, you can't employ people like me who might be good developers, but terrible artists. <laughs> right. Nobody will buy your game. Right. Uh, so these jobs are relatively scarce in the marketplace, and they have kind of this high demand for them. There's mm. uh, there's a few gaming companies out there, but not a lot. You, you generally don't see these people uh, having a hard time filling their positions. Uh, so guess what that creates? It creates an ideal marketplace for scammers mm. to okay. insert themselves. And Nicole Carpenter at Polygon has a story about Riot Games and how they're filing a lawsuit uh, by the way, I should mention Nicole's Twitter handle, which is on the top of this article, is Sweet Potatoes. It's a pretty OG Twitter handle, Nicole. That's good. Yeah. I'm impressed. Okay, very good. <laughs> we know what her favorite side dish at Thanksgiving is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. So uh, the article says that there are uh, a lot of video gaming companies that have experienced this, like Rockstar Games, who makes Grand Theft Auto. Uh, mm. That franchise, Manticore mm -hmm. Games, I'm not really familiar with them, and Riot Games are the three mentioned in this article. Uh, but Riot has actually taken the step of filing a lawsuit against these unnamed uh, people. Mm. Uh, and they've said that they're they're suing them for uh, fraud and infringement. Mm. And it's it's interesting in this, they have uh, an Exhibit C, which is a, a picture of one of these scams. Here's how the scam works. Let me let, before I talk about Exhibit C. Yeah. Let me tell you how the scam works. Okay. Because it's detailed in the lawsuit. Applicants are contacted by a recruiter either on Indeed, like they post fake apps, uh, fake ads for ads, or they just reach out to people. Mm -hmm. um, and once they respond to one of these ads, or once they get contacted. These uh, these scammers move over to Discord or email or some other chat platform mm -hmm. with a person impersonating someone from Riot Games Human Resources. And depending on the platform, uh, handles would be subject or changed to match up, right? So it, it would say like Riot Bob or something like that. Okay. Right? So it looks like it's from Riot. And the interview would begin, and these people would go through a pretty rigorous interviewing process. Hmm. And at the end of it, there would be a, a job offer. And once the job offer had been accepted, right, they would ask these people for all of their banking information and, and so that they can set up. Oh, direct deposit. So they can set up direct deposit, right? <laughs> yeah. Then applicants would be asked to transfer money for work equipment, which will be refunded via an online check. And when these people go to uh, to deposit this online check, which I, I'm not. I've never heard the term online check. Have you? Not, no, not specifically, but. Right. Hmm. The, they would, of course, find out that the check is, is fraudulent. Yeah. There's a great quote from one of the victims in here that is uh, poignant. And I mean, I wouldn't say it's actually heartbreaking. Yeah. One victim says, I've been rejected from a lot of jobs. This felt much worse, hmm. yeah. which I can absolutely imagine. Uh, unfortunately for these folks, there generally is no happy ending for them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're just out the money, uh, and they don't have a job that they thought they were going to get. I mean, that level of disappointment is— Yeah, imagine the excitement of your dream job. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the lawyer for, uh, for Riot has, has said, this is—we're not going to stand for this. And that's why they're going ahead and they're starting this lawsuit now, uh, even before they identify who these people are. Chances are they, they won't make much headway, mm -hmm. you know, because these are probably international criminals. But I think it's sad. It is, and hmm, yeah, I wonder if it's uh, 
if it's a shot across the bow or if it's trying to say to these people, we're trying to make this not worth your time. We see what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, move on to some other victim, you know, some uh, other, um, some other vertical, in other words. Right. You know yes. I mean? Somebody else in the market. Yeah. Well, and maybe, I mean, you, I suppose if the video game folks got together and said, we're going to come after these folks. Yeah. You know, move on to Hollywood or you yeah. know, like just <laughs> who do video game people not like? I don't know, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, they're rivals. <laughs> News organizations. Yeah. Whatever. News organizations uh, to say video games cause violence. Sporting goods, uh, marketers, right. people who keep kids away from video games. Right. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I, but, but I think your point is excellent though, which is that how are they going to go after these people right. uh, and have any real meaning? If they're overseas, if they're in a place where their governments aren't going to back us up, which chances are they they're are. Not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, is it just um, just demonstrative, I guess, more than anything? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, the, last, the last quote in the article says, 80% or more of what's fueling this problem is that you don't have a physical office, right? Mm. It's has to do a lot with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't go to some location and say, oh, here's the office. Here's the logo on the wall. Here's people uh, walking around. There's there's 40 people in this building that when they answer the phone at the front desk, they say the name of the gaming company, right? Yeah. We're all doing this remotely. So it makes people more susceptible to this kind of predatory behavior, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess. It, but if you're the job applicant, how then do you verify that who you're dealing with is the real deal? That's an excellent question. Well, Indeed actually has a set of do's and don'ts on their website, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes for this. Uh, since Indeed is listed in this article, they actually said, go check out this list. Mm -hmm. uh, do's, look for verifiable company email addresses, mm. right? Make mm -hmm. sure that they're not being smoofed, spoofed, mm -hmm. rather, because uh, that can be possible. Uh, match the offer to your application. Be cautious when pursuing positions with salaries, perks, and flexibility that seem too good to be true. Mm. Insist on an in-person or video interview, mm -hmm. right? That's a, that's a good one. Uh, and always report suspicious communication to Indeed. Never send any, these are the don'ts, never, spent, never send any form of payment to a potential employer uh, to apply on Indeed. Right. Or that you apply, uh, apply to on Indeed. Never, no, no employer is ever going to need money from you. That's not how the employment <laughs> relationship works. Right. 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 That should be a big red flag. Yeah. Um, never agree to perform any financial tra transaction on behalf of a potential em employer. That is uh, another scam that happens where people are being exploited as money mules. Uh, so don't do that. You may actually be criminally liable for those. Never agree to a job that involves opening multiple accounts or posting an ad on Indeed or other sites. Hmm. which is now you're just helping them further their scam, right? Mm -hmm. And never accept money up front for work you have not performed. Um, oh. this, it, they say this is a tactic commonly used in financial scams to put you and can, can put you at uh, considerable legal risk. Huh. This is, again, using you as a money, uh, money mule. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're going to do work that, you know, if, if you're an artist, right, and you're going to take work from somebody – and you 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 demand fifty percent up front. I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, different. If, well, yeah, if, if you're, you're a, doing artist, work. a freelancer, a contractor, that sort of thing, that's right. reasonable. Sure. But sure. if you're if you're an employee, you know, a W two employee, no, you should never get money in advance. Yeah. I also wonder if there's something um, to letting your first paycheck be a printed check. In other words, before you 
give them your information for direct deposit if you and cuz there're plenty of there're plenty of conveniences that go along with direct deposit right right, right. but if you say to them you know what my first check just cut me a check and get, yeah. so you get that check in hand you take it you cash it there you go <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> <Right>? maybe <laughs> Maybe, I mean, but- I suppose the scammers could still cut you a fake check, knowing that the 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 price they're paying for that fake check is access to your all of your banking stuff. But I I, I don't know. I, I, it seems like the longer you string them out, the more likely it is they're going to pull the ripcord and move on to someone who's easier to to hit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting article for sure. Like you said, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, my story this week, uh, this comes actually from the folks over at NBC News. Uh, this is written by David Ingram. Uh, before I dig into this article, this article is called The Internet is Tricking Our Brains. Joe, how would how would you rate your own memory? Do you consider yourself someone who has a good memory? I used to consider myself someone that had a good memory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but lately people have been saying some things to me and I'm like, I, I have absolutely no recollection of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think things I want to remember, I'm still good at remembering, but things I uh, filter out, uh, they those packets get dropped, and I never think of them again. Yeah, memory's tricky. I mean, like you know, it. it, it I can remember the lyrics to every popular '80s song ever. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, those those are all still in there, but I can't remember what I had for lunch. And those yesterday. will never go. Even if you get Alzheimer's, <laughs> that's one of the last things to go right. from your memory. Right. Exactly. Right. I, I, but similarly, I think I too. Uh, had a very good memory, especially as a younger man. Oh, yeah. Um, and one thing I remember is uh, back when I was in broadcast TV, like I knew the model numbers of every piece of broadcast equipment <laughs> there was out there. I knew the model numbers, yep. the specifications, all that kind of stuff. And now I can't remember any of that, but I think a big part of that is just, I just don't care. Right. You know, like eh, so let somebody else. Yeah, but, you're dropping those packets. But that brings me to the point of this article, which is that the fact that these days, thanks to internet technology, thanks to things like Google and Bing and all the other search engines, DuckDuckGo, um, we have at our fingertips, thanks to our mobile devices, the ability to look up anything. Yes. Instantly. Agreed. There are times when I, if I'm out to dinner with my family or something and someone says, what, what was the name of that movie from such and such? One of us will say, to the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and pull out their mobile device and start looking. At, and sure enough, there you go. There it is. Um, so this article makes the point that because we have that accessible to us, that we are offloading those abilities that we're, we're sort of letting our memory, certain parts of our memories atrophy mm-hmm. because we don't need them anymore. We have instantaneous access to lots of information. So we're lowering the priority of some things we used to memorize uh, because we can access things so easily. This article points out that uh, there was a study back in 2019 that found that uh, people's spatial memory got worse the more they used GPS devices and mapping apps. Really? Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, I, not surprising, I suppose. The, the more you rely on something to help you with something, the less your natural ability to do that will probably be there. Yeah. Um, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, right? well, our brains are very elastic, right? Yeah. So we we— we continually build new neural pathways whenever we have to do something new or learn something new. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have to do or learn something, no new neural pathways get built. <laughs> right, 
Right. Right. So the computer's doing it for us, you know, the system, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, so we don't have to do it, but you know, what does that mean? What, what does that mean for us? Yeah. Is it bad? Do we use our, uh, our efforts somewhere else then? Do we, Mm -hmm. maybe we just become more creative? I don't know. Well, so a couple of thoughts here. First of all, uh, let me just uh, give a shout out to the um, high school math teacher who I have never forgiven uh, for saying, uh, no, you can't use a calculator. You're not always going to have a calculator. No, I don't have a calculator. I have a supercomputer. (laughs) It's in my pocket all the time. Not only is it in my pocket as a supercomputer, but it has access to all the world's knowledge all the time. (laughs) So, no, you're right. I won't always have a calculator. I will have the greatest supercomputer ever ever built, and I have access to all the world's information. So, yes, I'm a little bitter about that. Yeah, I I have a similar story (laughs) with my fifth grade teacher. Right. And I said, said, I'm really— you know, I don't need to remember how to spell every single word in, in the English language. Uh, by the time I'm in the working world, there will be a machine that if I get close enough, it will know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, fifth grade, this is fifth grade. I'm <laughs> predicting the existence of spell checker. Right. And my teacher called me, uh, you know, called me nuts, said, who's filling your head with these lies? Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. I see. Sure. She was actually a very good teacher, though. I, st- I still have a lot of love and respect for the woman. Yeah. Uh, and and there is value in knowing how to spell things. But, yeah. you know. But see, th- but this this point is good, too, because I'm curious, you know, your point of view, because you uh, are much closer to academia than I am. Right. And I, there's been a lot of discussion lately about whether or not uh, it makes any sense to have tests where people have to have information memorized because it doesn't reflect the real world, right? right? If I'm an architect and I'm designing a building or a bridge or whatever, and I need to know what the formula is for the stress on this sort of thing, yeah. nobody's relying on me to have that memorized. Right. I, I, if I need to look it up, I'll go look it up. Yeah, that actually reminds me of another story in college. A friend of mine whose dad was an engineer uh, at his at his place of work, they said we're going to come around and test you f- for the knowledge that you know. And he said, "I'm not taking the test." Yeah. And they they said, "What?" He says, "Yeah, I, I refuse to take the test." And they said, "Well, how do we know you know what's good?" He goes, "I don't know what's good." You see those reference books along my <laughs> along my desk? Right. When I don't know something, I go to the reference book. Yeah. Now, if I can take the test with these reference books, I'll take the test. But if not, no, that's not a real world test mm-hmm. for exactly what you're saying. Well, and so I think part of what I wonder about with this – and this article sparks this uh, this question in my mind is, is in the modern world in which, in which we live, where we have access to these sorts of tools, is it more advantageous to be someone who's very clever with using these tools than having a good memory? Is that going to serve you well out in the world to be efficient – uh, and good with these sorts of tools to be able to find the answers quickly, effectively, and accu- right. accurately rather than having a good memory. In other words, use your limited brain cycles right. for that rather than memorizing things. Yes. I suspect I, I, it will. I, I think it does. I think that uh, that two things, one, being clever, and two, being able to read quickly mm. will help you a lot, help you immensely because when you do a Google search – Tons of information that comes back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Being able to filter that and yeah, get, if you can get read to the through good it quickly stuff. and filter it, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. You'll be better off. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, lots to think about there. I, this is this is one of those articles that more just triggered a lot of uh, questions and interesting. Uh, and it seems it also brought up some about. very painful childhood memories for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Why back on this couch yeah, over so here? Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Our, our 50 minutes are up, so uh, leave your money up front with the receptionist, and uh, I'll see you in, next week. All right, so the article is The Internet is Tricking Our Brains. That's over at uh, NBC News. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Chris. Uh, it's one we've seen a lot lately, and I wouldn't have used it, but Chris sent it along with a story that tells you what happens next. Mm. Okay? So Chris's father received an email that looks like this. Dave, why don't you read the email in that image there? All right. It says, order confirmation. Thank you for your recent purchase with Lamford LLC by Amazon. Your account has been set for auto debit from your saved billing on the account in the next 24 hours. The items will be shipped in 48 hours, and you will receive a confirmation email once they are shipped. You will receive another email with the tracking number. We hope you shop with us again soon. Amazon Inc. And there's a bunch of information about what was purchased. Uh, here, so the order is for a Sony Bravia uh, 47-inch Ultra HD television. And uh, the uh, amount paid is listed as being $1,376. And the balance to be paid is $902. Right. A lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Now, we've seen these before. This, yeah. is, this is nothing new. We've seen this a bunch of times. But here's the story. Mm. Chris doesn't know that at this point in time in the story that his father has received this email. Mm-hmm. And he overhears his dad raising his voice to someone on the phone. And Chris says he didn't think too much about that because his dad will often raise his voice on a regular basis. Ah, <laughs> uh, family. Yeah, right? <laughs> Two salespeople he wants to never call back. And I got to tell you, Chris, I can 100% relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in your dad's camp there. Okay. But he knew this call was different when his dad walked past him and out of the house, still on the phone. Hmm. So Chris says to his mom, what's going on here? And his mom says he's been on the phone all night because somehow someone got a hold of his Amazon account and bought a $2,200 TV. He's been trying to cancel the order. And Chris says, well, why is he going outside to cancel the order? And his mom says he needs to go to Food Lion, which is a grocery store here in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, with two forms of identification. And Hmm. now Chris is like, oh, no. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So he questions her a little bit further to confirm the suspicions, and he learns that he received this email from Amazon, in quotes, right, for the order of a 47-inch television, uh, which, by the way, should not cost $2,200. Not anymore, no. (laughs) He got the customer service number from the email and called them to cancel immediately. Now, Chris says one of his red flags is, that Amazon doesn't make it easy to contact no. the customer service. <laughs> Amazon doesn't have a phone number. Right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> which, is, which is 100% correct. Right, right. <laughs> right? And they sure they sure don't put it into the, your confirmation email. No. Say, you want to no, cancel no. the order you just made? Call us up. No. No, that's bad for business. No. Jeff Bezos knows what he's doing. No, you're more likely being able to call Jeff Bezos on his little private rocket than you are to reach <laughs> someone at Amazon customer support. Right. <laughs> So he tries texting and calling his dad uh, to see what he's doing, but he couldn't get him to respond. Uh-huh. Uh, and he didn't know why he was going to the grocery store. Uh, so Chris realizes the urgency of this. He throws his coat, coat on and he heads off to the Food Lion parking lot. And it turns out his dad started having doubts. And when he gets there, his dad was uh, his dad was in the parking lot and said, hey, Chris, 
I'm over here. And, and he hasn't gone in because he realized something was up. Mm. So they hang up the phone and they're done with the scam, right? Okay. Later, Chris finds out that they told him to go pick up a few card, gift cards, mm. specifically Target gift cards in the amount of $500 a piece. Okay. And they were on the phone with him the entire five-minute ride it takes to get to Food Lion. Apparently, they live very close to a Food Lion. Uh-huh. But they said, we're not going to be able to be speaking when you approach customer service, right? Mm. So customer service doesn't see you on the phone with somebody buying gift cards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Here is the explanation the scammers used to convince Chris's father to buy the cards. He was transferred to the, quote, Amazon fraud department. Again, this is not Amazon. This is a bunch of scammers. Right. Where they agreed to help him with his account. To do this, they needed special blocking codes. Hmm. These blocking codes could be found on the back of specific gift cards, target gift cards. Apparently, these target or these blocking codes only protect about $500 of value. So you need to buy four of them in order to protect your entire purchase and lock your entire account. Yeah. Chris says he realizes there are holes in the reasoning, and he tried questioning his father further about this, but his father just says, nope, I'm done talking about this and doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Which is a very common reaction. Right. So I understand. Thankfully, Chris, uh, you were able to stop your father from, from making a $2,000 mistake, or he, and he, or he came to, his, to the conclusion, and then you confirmed it. The only thing that I would say, if you're, if you're in this kind of a situation that might have helped get to this quicker, you can't, you can't get to the—, to the um, to the store fast enough and mm-hmm. somebody's on their way there, maybe call the store or call the police and have a uniformed police officer waiting there mm. to to talk to, to stop somebody from buying the gift cards. Right, um, right. That might've helped. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get the store to answer. You know, say, hey, my dad's on the way in there to buy some gift cards. He's being scammed. Don't sell him gift cards. Yeah. Right? Uh, but what, <laughs> what you did is also uh, very good. I would have called them on the way. Uh, you know, gotten in the car and gone myself and then called them on the way, maybe... Uh, called the store or maybe called the police. Mm-hmm. Call the dad too. Call, well, the, the the dad wasn't answering. They were trying to call the dad, but oh, he's on I the see. phone with the scammers. Right. The scammers probably convinced him that he needed to stay on the line. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh boy. It's yeah. good. Good. Happy ending on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, good and, on uh, who is it, Chris? Chris. Yeah, yeah. Good on Chris for uh, following through on the, and being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Absolutely. This happened with me and my mom one time where I was visiting them and I walked into the kitchen and my mom was on a call with someone. Right. And she was very agitated. And I said, Mom, hang up the phone. She, but they want to hang up the phone, Mom. But they're telling me, hang up the phone. She hung up the phone. It was a scam. You right. Know, but these folks, like <laughs> like you and I have said many times, these guys do this all day. Right. Right? You are not, I mean, they, they're much better at this than you are at blocking it. Yep. So you just hang up the phone. Hang up the phone. Good on you, Chris. Wow. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you would like us to share on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Adam Levin. He is the host of the podcast, What the Hack with Adam Levin. Right. Uh, show deals with many similar things to what we deal with here. Uh, Adam is also a cybersecurity expert and uh, interesting conversation here with Adam Levin. We describe it as a shame-free zone. Uh, it's, a, it's about hackers, scammers, fishers, 
and people who have become unfortunate victims of scams, cyber incidents, identity theft. Are there any particular stories that uh, come to mind as, as highlights, as representative examples of the types of things you have on the show? Oh, sure. We've had stories of everything from a uh, radio personality who was catfished, but she was clever enough to sort of catch him in the act and then turn it on him. We've had somebody who was trolling QAnon sites, and suddenly he received a communication, including a picture of him, not a compromising picture, but a picture that had never been posted on social media or anywhere before that his wife had taken of him to send a message to him. We had a journalist who was a victim of a sextortion scam. Uh, we've had, uh, in line especially with uh, social engineering, we had a, a woman who's a host of a podcast called Scam Wow. She's terrific. And she's also uh, a well-known speaker on the issue of double mastectomies because of hereditary cancer issues. Mm-hmm. And she was contacted by someone from uh, a very legitimate university in England, and they uh, offered her uh, a speaking engagement and fees. And, it, of course, she was going through a rough time, as many people were in the pandemic, and she was very excited to accept it. And then she noticed in the communication that something didn't seem right, and luckily, she stopped herself before she provided too much personal information to them. Uh, we've also had a number of people who were celebrities who have been uh, locked out of their Instagram accounts because they were hacked and then stolen from them. Uh, and in some cases, these are folks who were using it as their modeling book or a place where they could show certain acting profiles and they were suddenly not able to. So because more and more people are using Instagram, not just for social engagements, but also as ways to promote their business or their careers. And when you get caught off from something like that, and we've had people also talking about the fact that they were CIOs with companies that were hit with ransomware attacks and, and how they did, how they dealt with it. Based on all of these interviews that you've done and these people who you've spoken to, what are the take-homes? I mean, what, what sort of advice do you put out there for people to best protect themselves? Well, we created a framework in the book, Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full with Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves, and we call it the three M's. And it's how do you minimize your risk of exposure or reduce your attackable surface, especially in a world where you have billions of Internet Things devices that are tracking you, eavesdropping, sending information back to presumably to manufacturers. Uh, and in some cases, many cases, they become hacked. And as a result, you don't know where your, your information is going. The second M is how do you effectively monitor so that you know you have a problem as quickly as possible? And the third M is how do you manage the damage? And so the, the real takeaways are everything from strict password protocols, not sharing passwords across your universe of websites, two-factor authentication so that it makes it easier for you to find out that someone is attempting to get into your accounts and then giving you an opportunity uh, to stop them. 
to never authenticating yourself to anyone who contacts you for any reason. It's another thing if you contact them and they ask you to authenticate yourself because they're trying to protect you. But when you get calls from people who are imposters creating the impression they're with the Internal Revenue Service or a financial institution or a health agency and start asking you for too much information, that's when the warning flag should go up. Uh, things like don't download apps unless they come from legitimate app stores. And even then, it's best to read reviews and understand what you're doing. Uh, simple, simple things such as shredding in order to protect your data, freezing your credit. The second M, how do you monitor? That means getting your credit report, reviewing your credit report, have monitoring your credit scores for sudden precipitous unexplained drops, signing up for transactional alerts from institutions notifying you anytime there's activity in your credit or bank or credit union accounts. More sophisticated forms of monitoring are, are also a, a good idea. And then the third M, the big one is that a lot of people don't realize, and I'm now talking consumers, there's another uh, part for businesses, but for consumers, they don't understand that many institutions now, financial institutions, insurance companies, HR departments at work offer identity protection programs and cyber protection programs. And in some cases, it's free or deeply discounted. So it's find out. Do you have a program to protect me if I have an incident? Am I in it? What do I need to do to get in it? What is it going to cost? And those kind of the, the things that people need to think about. You know, I think a lot of folks find all of this overwhelming. Um, any thoughts on how to get started? How do you, you know, chip away at it and not feel like you're being, uh, you know, flooded with things you got to do? Well, step number one is think about all the different accounts you have and say, am I using the same password or a similar password on every one of them? And maybe that's not a good idea. Mm. So instead of trying to reinvent the wheel or going back and then coming up with 40 or 50 different passwords, get a password manager. Many, many of them are secure. Uh, they're uh, respected, the companies uh, that provide them. Things like LastPass, OnePass, Dashlane, those kinds of password managers, and let them do the work for you. They'll come up with long or strong passwords, or if you've decided that you have special passwords that you love, then just enter those into the password management system. And then from that point on, especially since most of them are multi-platform, uh, you just simply go to them, pull down, pull down or click the link, and you'll get the right password. So that, that's an easy one. Two-factor authentication, very simple to enable. Not giving away too much information. Anyone who contacts you, not really super difficult there, as well as not simply clicking on a linking, opening an attachment because it came from someone you think you know. So these are kinds of simple things that, that you can do to start. And think of it as a health checkup. Right, You go every six months, you go to your dentist, your doctor, or other forms of medical treatment that you would be getting, and all in the way of hygiene. So think of this as cyber hygiene. 
You know, you, you mentioned at the outset that your podcast, uh, What the Hack, is a, a shame-free zone. And, and I think that's a really important point here that, you know, particularly I think about our friends and family. And we've heard stories on our show about relatives, uh, you know, usually elderly people who find themselves victim of something and they're embarrassed to tell their family. So I, I think you make an important point that it's up to us to create that environment where they feel as though they can come to us with these problems. No, it's very important. Listen, the only way we're going to get a handle on this is by cooperation, collaboration, and communication. And I'm talking about, if you want to look at it at the macro level, you're talking about government, business, consumers, uh, media, all working together because you have to understand the threat. You have to find ways that you can solve the problem. Sometimes it's going to a professional organization that'll help you. Sometimes it's just talking to your family members and talking it through before you do something or even right after you do something. Many times you can limit the damage that will occur if you move quickly. And think about the fact that, for example, identity theft, a significant percentage of identity theft occurs within the family unit. And the reason why that it's able to persist is because children don't want to report their parents, parents don't want to report their children, siblings feel funny about talking about it with anyone else. When senior citizens become victims of catfishing or investment scams, if they say nothing, no one is going to know that they have a problem and be in a position to help them. So talking about it is not only cathartic and it can be help you to heal but in addition to which you might end up talking to someone who would be helpful to you and can solve the problem for you as opposed to letting it fester and then feeling just terrible about it and having your life turned upside down all right joe what do you think it's good to hear there are more podcasts like ours out there. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. The, you know, the more coverage we get on this subject, the better off mm-hmm. we all are. Uh, I like uh, I like the idea of being shame free. You know, if you go back to our catch of the day, mm-hmm. uh, Chris's dad was was embarrassed by this, but you know that he shouldn't be embarrassed by it. He, yeah, this is this is a scammer, a criminal who took it. I mean, are you embarrassed when your house gets robbed? Mm. You know, you shouldn't be shamed when your house gets robbed. You shouldn't be shamed when these kind of things happen. Right. Uh, It happens to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I like his three M's, minimize your risk. And of course, he says to minimize your risk, you use a password manager and multi-factor authentication. Never authenticate yourself to someone who contacts you, right? When Mm -hmm. When you contact someone else through a known good phone number, it's fine to authenticate yourself, but never authenticate yourself on an inbound phone call. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, monitor. This is kind of the hardest part. This is our, uh, as, as users and end users or just regular people, that's probably where we have, uh, the most difficulty Mm. in, is in monitoring and making sure that things are, are going well. Mm -hmm. Often we don't know that things about, things are about to go south until it's too late. Yeah. I think it was a famous scientist, Richard Feynman, who said, first, you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person for you to fool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and manage. How do you manage the the damage of one of these attacks? And ID theft insurance goes a long way to doing that. Because number one, it puts when you when you file a claim against that, you have a certain amount of money that you can use to pay attorneys and things like that mm-hmm. to make it a lot easier. Um, 
when your identity has been stolen and someone's opened a fraudulent account in your name, you're not really liable for that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of times, it's really good to have somebody that, that you can say, you know what, just call my attorney. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you have an attorney that you've you've paid through this uh, through this ID protection or you know identity theft insurance policy. Yeah. You say call my attorney. This is their number. They will tell you everything you need to know. And and please don't call me again. Right? right. If you're handling this yourself, you're going to have to deal with this yourself. Yeah, and just keep it from being a time suck, right? Right, There's exactly. So, such a time suck. It yeah. is a time suck. It's a huge, huge time suck. I mean, it's not really a money a money suck. You're not going to lose any money. Uh, you know, it, these guys are going. These guys may even go through the process of trying to get you to pay for an account they fraudulently opened with somebody else mm-hmm. using your identity. Right. Right. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know how I'd respond to that, but you know, th- th- their interest is in getting the things resolved. Yeah. One of the things that Adam says that, uh, that we've said a lot, a lot here is that if you're not doing anything, doing the basics goes a long way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, using a password manager and using multi-factor authentication, just doing those two things can move you really far down the security continuum to the more secure direction than yeah. you are currently. Reusing passwords is very, 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 very bad, especially <laughs> if they're right. easy to guess passwords or they're passwords that have ever been breached. Right. Um, the, you know, it's essentially just opening yourself up on the internet to all these people out there. Yeah. Uh, and using uh, permutations is only slightly more secure than using a reused password. It's There are password crackers out there that have rules that look for these uh, permutations. And a password cracker is just a brute force tool that uh, that tries a bunch of different passwords until it finds a match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let let your password manager generate completely random passwords. Yep, it's That's great. Way to go. It's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, our thanks to Adam Levin for joining us again. The name of his show is What the Hack with Adam Levin. Uh, do check that out. All right, that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Of course, we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Fittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 